mean or hurtful to people when they say, don't get your hopes up. But what are they really telling you? You know what? Your life's not going to be that good. It's probably going to be average at best. So don't get your hopes up too much because you're just setting yourself up for disappointment. And, you know, if God didn't come through for your family, for your aunt, uncle, grandma, whatever, why would you think he would do something for you? And, you know, we just put this culture of negativity and negative expectation. And what that is, it's a negative expectation of hope, which is unbelief. As we expect, we have more confidence in the devil to do bad in our life than the God to do good in our life. Who are we worshiping? Who is bigger? Who, we have more confidence in the devil to ruin your life, ruin your job, ruin this. This is all going to go bad, blah, blah, blah. And instead of God's ability to do good in your life, who are we worshiping and serving? Do we really know our father? Are we like those kids from Crosser still looking to try to find out who he is? Okay? Um, people say stuff like this. If something bad can happen, it will likely happen to me, like Murphy's Law and stuff like that. Do you realize what an insult that is into the face of God, your dad? Come on, think about what you're saying. Your words have the power of life and death in them, and those who love will eat the fruit of it. And you're going around saying that your life is cursed. If anything's going to go bad, it's going to happen in your family, in your home, to your children, to you, whatever. You're inviting the devil to open the door and come in and just destroy your family. And you sit back, well, I guess I got bad luck. Come on, man. That's not God. And then they say stuff like, and stuff starts to go good in their life. They, they get nervous. Like, oh, man, I've had two or three good things happen in a row. I'm getting nervous. Uh, something bad must be around the corner. Knock on wood. Like, knock on wood. Like, what is that? Superstition? I mean, what, is it God or what? What is it? Knock on wood. What are you knocking on a tree for? Like, what is that about? I mean, they have these, these expectations that something's going to go bad. I'm telling you, this might be the religious way. It might be the mountain way. It might be where I'm from way or this human way, whatever. But it's not Yahweh. It's not God's way. And we're supposed to be sons and daughters of the king, of our father. We're supposed to look and reflect like Jesus, amen? And he didn't walk around saying, well, if anything bad's going to happen to me, you know, you know, Judas, he's going to betray me, and I'm going to get whipped on my back, and you're going to shove crowns on my head, and I've got nails on my hands, and my life's going to stink, and uh, all for you bums, i got to do all this stuff for you. Amen? Okay, we need to stop being a self-pity party party of one, and misery loves company. And act like our Father and speak life and declare what we believe. Whose report are you going to believe? Amen? And then you hear these songs. I heard some, I heard this, I about fell out of my chair. I've said this here before, but oh my gosh, I hate this song with a passion. But gloom, despair, agony on me. Deep, dark depression, excessive misery. And we sing that in a church that think it's funny. People are like, if it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Gloom, despair, and agony on me. You just attracted every demon in the county to come your way and torment your life with doom, darkness, agony, depression, bad luck, despair. Yeah, we can laugh at it from hee-haw or whatever it came from. But this is not for the children of God. This is not for sons of God. You are just as much, if you're in Christ, a son of God as Jesus now. I know that sounds blasphemous to say it, but he said, you're the firstborn of many brothers. Jesus said he's not ashamed to call you his brother. If you're his brother, then you have the same family. Amen? So this is not God's heart for us. And people say stuff like this. And you hear people say stuff like this too, like, oh, you know that old boy down the road? Yeah, that boy, he's just hopeless. That boy, he's just hopeless. 
oh my gosh, did they even know God? Do you, do we, are we really going to say somebody is hopeless or this situation hopeless? Do you know God? Because my God, I read about in the Bible, my God I've experienced in my life and, and personally, we, you know how many times we hear in our family, I'm not saying this to boast on me, but boast on God, that never happens. Wow, that's so amazing. That never happens. This stuff never happens. You heard it just last week, can't remember what it was now. Something that they, someone said never happens, happens. Well, guess what? It's normal to me now. It's, we're supposed to have a distinction between the children of Egypt and the children of Israel, right? It's supposed to be a distinction of how we look, how we act, how we talk, what we experience, how we experience life. There should be extin- a, a, a distinction. But it's an absolute horrible thing to say over someone's life, that person has no hope. I believe that hopelessness may be uh, easier to see than people that are filled with hope. People filled with hope, it's, good, it's easy to see, but it's even easier to see hopelessness. The word hopeless, it means this. To question, to doubt, to give up hope, to stop believing in someone or something. It's like, I give up. I give up, I quit. It's hopeless. God can't help me. God can't change this. He doesn't love me. It's Nothing's going to ever change. It's just who I am. This is how I was born. This is how my dad was, my grandfather was. It's always going to be the same. Uh, this is just who I am. You know what that is? That's doubt and unbelief. It's not God. Your father would never speak those words over you. He would never, because God doesn't have any hopelessness to give you. <laughs> he couldn't give it to you. Now, we know hope deferred makes the heart sick, and uh, those that have t- totally lost hope of getting better, people let them down, people have cheated on them, they've been cheated, they've been lied to, abused. People have gone through bad things, but just because people have gone through bad things doesn't mean the situation is hopeless. doesn't mean that things can't change. And we need to be ambassadors of hope. Where can they go to hear good news? Where can they go to hear a good testimony? Where can they go to someone's confessing the testimonies of God, the things that never happened? Like, for one example, Taylor lost his, someone actually stole his cell phone out of his locker at the high school, the, the uh, change room lockers at the gym. And I guess it's quite common. And we didn't know who did it, so we just started praying. Well, that night, the mother found the cell phone in the boy's room, and he she, uh, she realized it wasn't his. She took it back to school. Taylor went into the office the next day and asked for his, if he, his cell phone was turned in. And they said, wow, this never happens. But, yeah, here's your cell phone. And we've had stuff like that happen again and again and again and again. Why? Not because God loves us more, but we believe that something should be different in my family than everyone else's in other people's family that don't believe God. We have to believe for something. Why not believe what God says? Amen? Okay? So, um, when people get really to a really low place of hopelessness, they often become addicted to alcohol or drugs. They can become criminals. They can become suicidal. Hope is a big deal in people's life. Hope is a big deal in your life. And during COVID, it was a it was attack against hope. It was attack against joy and families and a lot of attack against a lot of things. But guess what? I'm just declaring we're coming out of that all that hopelessness stuff. I'm just telling you they might try to send something worse. They might something worse might come. I don't know, but I'm telling you we got to stand on the word of God and what God says. Amen. Amen. I'm just telling you hopelessness is a is a desperate evil place to be, but it's not where the family of God's called to be. Okay? Hopelessness is not an attribute of our father. You go looking for your, your father around, just like the Crossner kids, they're not going to find someone with a hopeless situation. My Bible says that God is a master deliverer of hopeless situations, amen? That he's a specialist at this. But uh, we're not, he's not moved necessarily by the need, he's moved by faith. 
Let me show you a few examples. Think about Daniel in the lion's den. Okay, this actually really happened. It's not just a storybook, you know, flannel board thing you had in Sunday school. This guy was praying multiple times a day. They saw him. They made laws to get him arrested because they're trying to get him in trouble. He gets arrested, thrown into a pit with hungry lions. Okay, I've been around some lions, not really close. Thank God for the bars that were there. I remember being at a zoo in Canada. It's closed now because I think it must have been illegal or something, but it was a super cool zoo at the time. They throw these, like, frozen chickens, I think, or turkeys to these lions, and they grab it with both paws like this. And just you see, like, the smoke from the frozen turkey just, like, crushed, and they'd be crushed and devoured to nothing before they hit the ground. Just like, whoa, <laughs> those things are powerful. He's in a pit with lions, plural. And he just, like, I don't know, he just cuddles up on one, takes a nap, like he had a lion skin rug or something. Nothing happens to him. Think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're thrown into a fiery furnace that was heated seven times hotter that some of the guards that threw him in died while they're throwing them in. And they're in there, like, no big deal. They're in there. Jesus comes in with them. Talk about a hopeless situation, uh, but, but they made it. Um, I think even of John, the Apostle John, if you read his story, about they, they were trying to kill him. And they had him in, a, in, a, they had a, in a, the Colosseum. They had this boiling uh, vat of hot oil, and he, they put him in there, and he kept preaching. He just kept preaching. He's in it. It's fire. It's burning. It's bubbling. He's still preaching. That's why he got sent to the island of Patmos was to get him out of there, and that's where he wrote the book of Revelation. But he, he couldn't die. <laughs> they couldn't kill him. Um, Hopeless situation. Moses and the children of Israel, they get to the Red Sea. All, all these armies are coming against them. They had no weapons. They didn't have anybody to fight. They're, what are they going to do? And he says, Moses, what's in your hand? And he strikes the water, and you know the story. Guys, this is God. Your situations in your life have never been as big as Moses's, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's, or Daniel's, or whoever else, John's, or anyone else I said. We have never experienced anything like that. Your hopeless situation is minicure to, to God's, to those situations. They're so much smaller. We elevate them in our mind like, God couldn't do this. Or is it really God couldn't do this or you just don't think he'll do it for you? Come on, right? So uh, think about the woman uh, who's starving to death in the Old Testament. Uh, she's about to die and God sends Elijah to go to her. And uh, this people, people that read this today would be so offended by this story because she says she had one meal left, and then she was going to eat it, her and her son, and then she was going to die. And Elijah says, okay, well, make me one first. Can you imagine? Like, what a guilty, what a greedy pastor goes to, goes to steal widow's last meal. You know, but let's see what it says here. First Kings 17. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first make a small cake of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make yourself some for your son. Now, if God told me to say that to a, a, a dying mother and her starving son, Man, it would take a lot of, like, oh, my gosh, strength to say that to her. Uh, but anyway, but he did. Verse 14, for this is what the Lord your God says. The jar, uh, come on, somebody, the jar of flour will not be used up. The jug of oil will not run dry until the Lord gives rain on the land. So she went away and did as Elijah told her. So there was food every day, every day. 
for Elijah and the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. The jar didn't run dry, the jug didn't run dry. This happened day after day after day for three and a half years until it rained on the land again. Every day. I'm telling you, people are going to scare you. you got to stock up because the world's coming to end and the stock market's going to crash. We're all going to go poor. We're all going to go broke. We're going to lose all our investments. Everything is going to hell in a handbasket. And guess what? If it all does, guess what? I'm going to feed off flour that's going to keep coming. I'm going to feed off the oil that keeps flowing. God's going to cause something to rise up to take care of his children because we are the sons and daughters of God. Someone's got to believe God. He hasn't changed. Can you believe this story? Three and a half years. He just, is the flour gone? Yeah, it's gone. Open it. Oh, it's there again. Oil gone. Yeah, it's gone. Next day, it's, it's, it's back again. I mean, that's awesome. That's our God. Think about Peter. He's rested and put in prison, chained with two chains. He's got a guard sitting on each side of him and 14 guards standing in front of the gate to make sure he doesn't go anywhere. They're going to kill him after Passover. All of a sudden in the night, angel comes. Hey, Peter, wake up. Chains fall off him. He doesn't know what's going on. Get your clothes. Put your clothes on. Come with me. He's like, he says in there, he didn't know if he was asleep or if it was really happening. He was dreaming or what's going on. He walks past the guards. They're all asleep that, or, they don't, or he's invisible. They don't see him. We're not sure what happened there. Goes to the big, huge gate that's supposed to keep him out. It opens by itself, the Bible says. Come on, there's a gate that opens by itself when you're walking with God. I mean, I'm telling you, it's a hopeless situation. I mean, it's amazing. A woman with the issue of blood suffered for 12 years. 12 years of bleeding. Went to doctors, made her worse. They tried to help her, couldn't help her. She goes to Jesus, helpless situation, hopeless situation, no hope. But somebody, somebody told her about Jesus. Somebody shared their testimony. Somebody did. I don't know what they told her, but that woman had amazing faith. She wasn't supposed to be in the city. She wasn't supposed to be in the crowd. She pushed through the crowd. She pushed past fear, anxiety, shame, the what-ifs, the, the doubts and unbelief. She pushed past all that stuff, and she got to the hem of his garment and touched him, and she was totally changed. God is a God who specializes in hopeless situations. He specializes in this stuff. So guys, I want to ask you this morning, where is your hope line? Is it in something coming to help you, someone coming to help you, or is your hope in God? Is your hope in the Lord? Are you in some hopeless situation where you, you don't know what's going to happen? Well, guess what? You serve a God. Your father is a master at hopeless situations. These people weren't that special in the Bible. They're just like you and me. They're just like you and me. Amen? All right, so... Um, Hope is a characteristic of God and his family. When people come into this church, they should, be, they should encounter, man, those people are just filled with hope. Because that, it's like God. Those people are filled with love. They're filled with hope. And last but not least, I want to look at faith. Faith, uh, Hebrews 11, 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So we see there, faith is now. Faith is a substance of things you are hoping for. That's the positive expectation of good, not the negative expectation of evil, okay? That's not that it is. Faith is a substance of things hoped for. Faith is the evidence of things that you can't see. When people say stuff like, I won't believe it unless I see it. You're walking with uh, doubting Thomas. That's not, the, that's not the spirit of faith, okay? So faith is confidence, a firm trust, an assurance, or a conviction that you possess the unseen thing before you see it. I'll read it again. 
Faith is confidence, a firm trust, an assurance, or a conviction that you have or possess the unseen thing before you see it. You believe that about heaven. I mean, if you're really saved, you have, hopefully, you've come into relation with Christ enough to know that you have zero doubt that when you die, that's where you're going. Okay? If you haven't, guess what? You need to be discipled until you do, because that's a big deal. All right? So, um, that's what faith is. Now, I want to share a few verses here. Verse 2. It says, For by, the, by it the elders obtained a good testimony. Verse 2. By it the elders obtained a good testimony. This is not talking about the elders of a church. It's some of the elders of your family or our forefathers. Our forefathers re- received a good testimony by their acts of faith. Okay? If you read chapter 11, I'm going to read some of this to you now. You'll see this is one of the things our family is known for. The family of God is the family of faith. Amen. Are you here? Can I get a few more minutes out of you? Can I squeeze a little bit more energy out of you? A little bit more feedback out of you? The family of God is the family of faith. Hebrews 11 talks about this. I want to share this with you. Verse 3. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. That's a mind-boggler right there. The things that were made were, thing, were made from things that are invisible. That's just like faith you just talked about in verse 1. Uh, and, all right, I'm going to go on for that. Verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, uh, through though he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and, th- and th- through, it, excuse me, through it being dead still speaks. Verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken away, so he did not see death. It was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had his testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Enoch was a man of faith. Faith pleased God, and Enoch pleased God, and then he was no more. Okay? Our family, the family of God, one of the characteristics, the DNA of our father is faith. It's faith. It's believing, trusting God. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, which he condemned the world and became the heir of righteousness, which is according to, to faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when, it was, when he was called to go out to a place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not, dwelling, not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in a land of promise as a, in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he wanted, he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, she, uh, because she judged him faithful who had promised. This woman at 90 years old, judged God, not herself faithful, not herself filled with faith, but judged him faithful who made the promise. That's a key to faith right there, guys. Judging him faithful who promised the stuff to you. Not your own life, not your own devotional time, prayer time. That stuff has a factor. But the faithfulness of God is the number one factor. It's the character of God is he is faithful. How many songs are we saying he is faithful? All right, the faithfulness of God. Verse 12. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born as, as many 
as the stars of the sky in the multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. Talk about a hopeless situation. 90 and 100 years old. All right, time to have your baby now. What? But they did. They did. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he, who he received, the promises offered up as his only begotten son, of whom it, is, it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of his sons of Joseph and worshiped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's commands. Do you see a pattern yet? We are the righteous of God through what? Through faith. We are children of faith. Um, 27, by faith he, took e he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured, uh, for he endured as seeing him who is visible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he, who, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempted to do so and were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell, and after they were encircled for seven days. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when the, she had received the spies with peace. And what should we say? There's, uh, for time would fail me to tell you of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, uh, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became uh, valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens, and women received their, their dead raised to life again. Guys, God's family is known, God's family, our family, is known as a family of faith. A family of faith, amen. So we know that uh, Father Abraham was called the father of our faith. When you think about it, God himself is the father of faith because our faith is actually in his faithfulness. It's our faith is in our faith, his faithfulness. So faith is a characteristic or nature of our father and is how his children should be known. Could you imagine in your relationship at home if you didn't believe the things your dad told you? What kind of relationship would you have with your dad? Well, I just don't believe you. Well, have I ever lied to you before? No, but I just don't believe you. So I want to make mention of this because it's closely connected to faith. Um, hope you guys got, again, a few more minutes in you. All right. So one of the challenges with members of God's family is that we don't know God. Therefore, we don't trust God. It's very difficult to trust someone that you don't know. That's why we have trouble trusting different politicians, trusting different people, news reporters or whatever, because we don't know their character, don't know if they're telling the truth or not. We have tough time trusting. Some is obvious to tell, but sometimes we could miss it. So one of the ways we, because we don't know God sometimes, we don't trust God. Because if you really knew God, like personally, not just his past record, just not the past of God, but if you really knew God personally, doubt and unbelief would be very hard for us to have. 
Bill Thrall wrote a book called True Faced, Trust God and Others with Who You Really Are. I think this, this is really pivotal to our, our faith in God, but he was a pastor of a church Holly's parents used to go to in Arizona when she was little, and he came to Roanoke back when we were living there, and he went over these truths from his book. I just want to share these briefly with you guys, but he said this, your whole Christian life is dependent on your trusting what God says about you. Your whole Christian life is dependent on trusting what God says about you. And you know, when you've been hurt, wounded, lied to, abused, trusting becomes something hard for you to do. When things haven't worked out like you wanted to, but guess what? If you're going to grow in the Lord, we're going to have to develop in the area of trust. Uh, trusting people, that might take a little longer, but trusting God's going to have to start, okay? Second one here, you cannot acquire truth without trust. You cannot experience grace without trust. If we do not learn to trust, we will not learn to receive love. I know these are deep things, but they're absolute truths. When someone doesn't trust you, they have shut down their heart from receiving anything from you. They just don't trust you. They're just they're shut down. There's a wall there. Just, there's not, it's not happening. The degree to which I trust you is the degree to which you can love me, no matter how much love you have for me, uh, because they won't be able to receive it. So your spouse, friend, parent, whoever can tell you, I love you, I love you, I love you. God himself, I love you, child of God. I love you. You're my son. You're my daughter. I love you. I love you. But if you don't trust, if you don't trust, you're not going to be able to receive that love. Your heart's hard and like, I don't believe him. I don't believe it. You know, when Holly and I first got married, she, we'd say goodnight. She'd say, I love you. And deep down in my heart, I was like, I don't know if I believe her. And it wasn't because she did something to make me doubt it, but I didn't trust that people actually loved me because I felt, you know, my flaw, I'm flawed, and um, this happened to my family, that happened to my family, whatever. And I had a, it took me, I don't remember how many months before I actually said, my gosh, maybe she does love me. I mean, even at the altar, I remember when she finally said, I do, I, I remember saying, yes my heart, like, because I just had this religion and doubt and unbelief, like, how can someone love me? Because I'm so bad. You know, a lot of us get to that place. But I'm telling you, you don't have to live there. God loves you. And the degree that what you trust God, the degree that you trust people around you is the degree they can really love you. You know, in our church, you don't have to come in with a mask on. You don't have to come in and pretend like you have it all figured out and you get it all working together. You don't have to come in with your suit and tie or whatever. You can wear suits and ties, but it's fine. But you don't have to wear it and try to pretend you're something you're not. In our house, you can be you. And that's me trusting you with who I really am, you trusting me with who you really are. And guess what? That's when people really start to love each other and experience grace and faith and trust. So last one, but what uh, Bill Thrall said, is said, without trust, I will not express obedience. So if we truly want to look like our Father uh, and really get to know Him, not the old relic version, this not stoic version of this dusty old, crusty old man sitting on a throne in the sky, it's covered in dust and cobwebs or something, this, this view of God that some people have. We really want to know the real God and what He's like. We're going to have to get to know God and, and find out who He is and, and be like Him. He's the God who calls those things to be not as though they were. He's the God who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's, he's not changed at all. And that God, guys, is our Father. He's your dad. He said, those who believe in him, those who call on his name, he gave the right to call him Abba, Father, which was the most intimate word in their language for daddy, daddy, or papa, papa. If you would have said that in the Old Testament, you probably wouldn't have stoned to death. 
But now through Christ, he gave you the right. He gave you, 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 you the right to stop looking for your real dad. Stop looking for your real father. Stop wondering where he is out there. Who is? Maybe it's this guy. Maybe it's that guy. Maybe this guy is going to help me. Maybe that guy's going to help me. And no, you are not an orphan. You are not abandoned. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He is your real father. How are you here? He loves you more than your earthly parents, your grandparents, or the person who loved you better than anyone on the planet. And he wants to be intimately involved in your life. But guess what? You're going to have to trust him. You're going to have to be real with him. You're going to have to stop putting these masks on and try to pray these religious prayers and thinking that if I say all the right magical words, then God's going to hear me, and then, then all these things will work out for me. No, you need to be you, because guess what? You're the one he loves, not this facade pretending thing that you have going on to look religious in church. Man, he hates that stuff. I'm just telling you deep down, secret, he hates that. Your dad hates that stuff. <laughs> He's not big on fake, phony facades. Look at Jesus. If you want to know what your father's like, he's exactly like Jesus. Jesus is the exact representation of his being. So I want to read these to you one more time. We'll close. But um, in a, a slightly modified version of what Bill Thross said here, our whole Christian life is dependent on trusting what God says about you. You cannot acquire trust Excuse me, you cannot acquire truth of who God is without trust. You cannot experience grace without trusting who God is. If we do, if we do not lean, learn, excuse me, learn to trust him and his word, we will not learn to receive his love. Because, you know, we're, God's not the one hindering you from receiving love. We're hindering ourselves based on our performance. When that's not how God is, not in the New Testament. The degree to which you trust God is the degree to which God can love us, no matter how much love he has for us. So God gave everything, he poured everything, he loved us so much, but we can only receive it to the level that we trust him. And we be real and let our guards down. Amen? Imagine how frustrating that must be to him some days. <laughs> He's the most patient one ever. But how frustrating it be for you? You've been trying to tell your kid, your spouse, somebody for like 50 years or something that they love, that they love you. Ask me. I'll, I'll help you. I'll do anything to help you. I'm here. I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. I'm closer than a friend or a brother. Like all these things that he says. You're like, eh, I don't trust you. Mm, I don't believe you. Where were you? And they build up a case against him. Where were you in third grade? Where were you here? Where were you there? And they build up this case against God where they perceive he wasn't faithful to them. They perceive he wasn't there for them. They build this case against him. They stop trusting him and it just cuts off that flow of love. So, all right. I'm going to close with this. Some of you guys are tapping out. But, <laughs> but just get, again, a couple of seconds. Like Sarah, we need to have confidence in the one who made the promise, not confidence in our own ability to mess things up. Confidence in the one who made the promise, not our own ability to mess things up. I think we got our flesh first and not grace first. And we need to put it the other way around. So 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says this, And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So guys, this is what our father looks like. This is what your dad looks like. This is what Abba, Papa, what he looks like. He looks like faith. He looks like hope. He looks like love, and he wants his children to look just like that. We should be the most 
uh, had the most positive expectation of good of anyone around. Not I'm talking about this church, I'm about the body of Christ, the church, the whole church. So if you guys will stand. I want to pray for you guys. There's things that's happened in your life that has skewed your image of what God looks like. It's, it's affected how you view God, how you think he can work through your life. Maybe it was a relationship with your, your earthly father. Maybe it was a relationship with your mom, a spouse, a, a relative. But some of us, not everybody, but some of us in here, there's, been a, there's probably been a relationship that affected how you pictured what God's really like. That he'd do something for your brother, he'd do something for your sister, he'd do something for your aunt, uncle, or cousin, but God couldn't possibly do something for you. I'm telling you that everyone in here has heard that. Every person in this room, every person on the planet has heard that. Because guess what? Who's saying it? The liar. The accuser of the brethren. The liar. But I'm telling you, God does not love you, does not love your friend more than you. He does not love your brother more than you, your sister more than you. Your parents may have made you feel that way accidentally, maybe intentionally. I don't know. Joseph's family felt that way. But God himself will never make you feel that way. He loves you with a passion. So I want to pray for you. In order for you to give away love, you're going to have to receive love. In order for you to be a person of hope, you're going to have to receive hope. You know, you know, be a person of faith, you've got to receive faith. You've got to receive from God and trust God and what he says about you. So, Father, right now, I know... There's so many different situations in the room, so many different scenarios. You know them all intimately. Every detail, stuff that they don't even remember, that's true. You know. And I pray right now, God, once again, that trust would be established between you and them. New levels of trust. New levels of confidence in who you really are. And they there's Start receiving the love of God. Start receiving hope in their hearts. Start receiving the faith being uh, rise up again that God wants to do something for them in their life, not just someone else's life. So God, I just pray blessing on each one here. Mark said at the beginning of the service that today was going to be a day to um, don't remember exactly, but we marked our church for something different or a turning of the page or uh, just a, a new thing. And I'm telling you guys, it's time for the sons of God to arise and be who we really are called to be, like our Father. All of creation is groaning for the manifestations of the sons of God. It's going to look like faith. It's going to look like hope. It's going to look like love. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. I uh, love you. If you need prayer for anything, I invite you to come on up front for prayer. Um, but if, if not, you are dismissed, and we'll see you guys next week. All right. God bless you. Have a great day.